If you're new or visiting, I feel very boomy or something up here. Um, if you're new or visiting with us this morning, uh, my name's Andrew. Uh, I'm one of the pastors of the village. I lead the team here in Village South. Uh, today's a really special day for us. It's funny, isn't it, that this is the life of the church, the life of Christians is we, we mourn uh, and we celebrate as we go along. And so we're mourning what's happened to our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Uh, but today we're celebrating as well because we're uh, commissioning Travis as an elder. So straight after we finish our gathering, um, after we take communion, we're going to move into that. And then we've got a big mass of cake and coffee and stuff. So do stick around afterwards um, and celebrate with us. Uh, we're working our way through the, 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 the Gospel of Luke. Um, that's what we do in Village. We kind of work our way through books of the Bible. Um, and we've intentionally called this series... Uh, to seek and to save the lost. Not only is that one of the key verses in this whole book that we'll get to in chapter 9, but it's, it's one of the main themes that we see over and over and over again, that Jesus is coming uh, to, to seek out people, the lost, and to save them. And we see this happening, thank you darling, and we see this happening in a really explicit way today when, when Jesus seeks out this fisherman, Simon, um, and his two business partners, James and John as well. Um, but actually, before we go any further, let me just pause for a second, and we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God's help. Anytime we open the Bible, we want to ask for the Lord's help, and, and, and really ask Him to uh, speak to us, and let the, the text read us, and, and, and not try and impose our meaning on that. So let's ask for God's help before we go on. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living, that it's active. Thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit, who is here with us, who is present with us. Um, Holy Spirit, enlighten this word to our hearts. Um, make it real to us, Lord. Change our hearts. Change our lives. Um, Jesus, speak to us and make us fall more in love with you this morning. In your name and for your glory only, we pray. Amen. Um, I, I love fishing. Um, people laugh at me because I use the same kind of like few sermon analogies, fishing, cycling, or football, or space. Those are kind of my go-to things. Um, but two of my happy places in life are either out in the countryside riding my bike, which, to be fair, has become a wee bit more uh, nerve-wracking for me recently. And uh, the other one is standing on the rocks, um, getting wet, um, not catching any fish. That's what, one of my... I, I love doing it, and I love, I love just that freedom of being outside and, and just standing there uh, looking at the water. Um, and a few years ago, a, a group of us... Uh, went out on one of those fishing trips, you, you charter a boat and there's a guy like um, takes you out from Port Stewart Harbour and it's really cool because the skipper knows exactly where the fish are, he has the radar and so he just stops the boat and you throw down your line and you pull in fish, it's really, it's really amazing and you don't have to think about it, like uh, I, th I think, uh, you know, me and John love to fish and, and so, and, and Tim as well and like uh, I think maybe like Haley and Jenny had never done it before and we were like oh well we'll be class at this and they're the first ones to bring in loads of fish and so it's really really funny and it's good fun but imagine if one of us in that boat had turned to the skipper and said hang on a minute son now, now listen you should listen to me just just listen to me and I'll tell you where the fish are like no 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 you're not doing it right follow me and, and I'll tell you where the fish are how do you think that would go I mean this was a hard man who had been fishing his whole life he was actually eating raw fish. We had caught fish and he would like cut a fillet off and was just like munching on it. Like I suppose that's what sushi is, isn't it? But um, so free sushi. How do you think that would have gone if me, this city boy, had just kind of gone, no, no, listen to me, I'll show you where the fish are. Um, do you know do you know the phrase teaching your granny how to suck eggs? Everyone, everyone aware of that phrase? It's like when somebody is uh, somebody is telling somebody who is an expert what to do. 
Um, we can invent a new phrase today, which is, it's like, tell, uh, it's like a carpenter telling a fisherman how to catch fish. Because that's what's happening in this passage. Jesus, the carpenter's son, who's turned into this career as a, as a preacher, is telling Simon, an expert, uh, experienced fisherman, how to fish. It's a passage about calling. This is when Jesus is calling his first disciples. Simon, who would then become later on Peter. James and James's brother John, these two brothers who were clearly in, in business with, with Simon. But it's told through the, the lens of, or the, the experience of Simon. And what we see in this passage about calling is that Jesus calls us to be obedient, to be humble, and to leave everything. Let me say that again. Jesus calls us, it's on the screen there, Zara, please. Jesus calls us to be obedient, to be humble, and to leave everything. And, and, and kind of before we get into this, we need to realize that this, this calling that Jesus, that Jesus gives to Simon and James and John, is, it's a calling that extends to us too. Um, picture this scene for a second. Where is Jesus? He's, he's in Galilee. The, 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 it says here in the text that it's the um, Gennesaret, which is another name for the Lake of Galilee. He's by the water. He's hanging out with fishermen. And this passage tells us something about the kinds of people that Jesus has come to call, right? He's not up in Jerusalem at the temple uh, trying to collect all the religious leaders and the holy people and the clever people. He's here on a lake calling a person whose only confession of faith is, I am a sinful man. And this is becoming a theme for Jesus as we walk through his life, isn't it? He doesn't always go to the people that we might expect him to go to. He goes to the sinners. He goes to the outcasts. Jesus comes to the outsiders and makes them insiders. And then when the, we'll see this even more next week when, when he calls Levi the tax collector. And I don't want to preach that sermon, you know, preemptively, but he calls Levi the tax collector and, and, and then the other disciples say, why do you want anything to do with this tax collector? And Jesus says, I have come to call the, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He has come to call sinners. And so this means that Jesus has come to call me and you because we are sinners, right? We're all sinners. And because we are sinners and Jesus has come to call sinners, we can be sure that he has come to call us. Sometimes when we come to certain parts of the Bible or we hear certain sermons, we think, well, I mean, this is for somebody else. This isn't really for me. Well, I want to be clear that this is for me and this is for you. This calling is for all of us. Jesus is calling you. And maybe you're not a Christian. Um, well, I would just say to that that it's not a mistake that you're here this morning, that you're here to hear Jesus calling you to himself as well. So what does this calling look like? Well, the first thing we see is that Jesus calls us to be obedient. Jesus calls us to be obedient. Last week we saw that Jesus was starting to get a bit of fame and recognition, right? He's been going around to the various synagogues and, and preaching the good news of the kingdom. And as he's been going around, he's also been showing what the kingdom looks like through healing people and casting out demons. And so by now he's got a good bit of a following. People want to come to hear what he has to say. And wherever he went, people came out to hear him speak and to maybe have him heal whatever sickness or, or ailment they had. And here he is at the, the Lake of Galilee, and the crowd are coming closer and closer to him. They want to they get close to him. They want to receive what he has to offer. 
Now, obviously, uh, Jesus didn't have a sweet Britney mic like mine. Um, uh, he wasn't blessed with that particular technology. So he has to use the natural resources that are around him. He, um, so he, he gets into Simon's boat and he says, Simon, uh, take me off the shore a little bit. Actually, as a side note, I think it's really funny that he gets into Simon's boat and then says, hey, Simon, will you take me offshore? He doesn't say, Simon, can you please do this? And then wait for permission. He just gets in the boat and is like, Simon, do this. I think that's very funny. Um, But the idea was that sitting on the water, facing the shore, with the land, the ground sloping up behind the crowd, it would kind of act as a natural amphitheater. So the sound would carry and the crowd would be able to hear him easily. Now, Luke doesn't tell us what Simon was doing while Jesus was preaching this day. Um, we knew he was in the boat. Um, maybe he was having a snooze because he's been out all night fishing. Or maybe he was hanging on Jesus' every word. We don't know. But whatever the case, when Jesus finished speaking, he turns to Simon and says, Simon, I want you to go out into the deep part of the lake and let your nets down again. Cast your nets again. Listen to what uh, happens in verses 4 and 5. I'll just read it again for us. Um, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Now at this point, Simon isn't a stranger to Jesus. They've met before. He's already seen Jesus at work. He's experienced Jesus preaching in the synagogue. He casts out a demon in the synagogue. Then he comes to Simon's house and heals his sick mother-in-law. He's experienced Jesus at work. But this is different, I think. Because here is Jesus coming into his world. Jesus comes and gets Simon's attention in his domain. He meets Simon on his boat, on his lake, in the craft that he knows so well. He's an expert. On the water that he knows every inch of. There's not a a more experienced person in fishing on the Lake of Galilee than Peter. And in that realm, Jesus comes into and takes control. Now it's clear that Simon was tired. He'd been fishing all night. And and this wasn't like, you know, me going out to the rocks and, you know, with a wee fishing rod. And, you know, this is back-breaking work. These guys had... um, They've actually found remains of these boats. They were about seven feet wide and 20 feet long, so they're small boats. And they would cast down these heavy nets in a semicircle about 100 feet. And then they would haul them in, hand over hand, hand over hand, hauling in 100 feet of net. It was back-breaking work. These were properly tough guys, strong guys. It was a proper night's work, you know. And so we can understand Simon's response. He says, Jesus, we've toiled all night. We're knackered. Are you serious? And what Jesus was saying was foolish. Like, Peter, or Simon, Simon Peter knows this. It was the wrong way to go about fishing. You catch the bigger fish in the deep parts of the lake when they're feeding at nighttime. That's why they go fishing at nighttime. Not in the middle of the day. And we can imagine what Simon was thinking. Listen, Jesus, you can teach me about heaven. You can teach me about the Bible. You can even teach me about carpentry, but you can't teach me about fishing. Leave the fishing to me and you go on and do your preaching. And I wonder how often is this our response to Jesus when he comes in and tries to take control in our lives? Jesus, you handle the heaven stuff and the salvation stuff, but, but leave, the, leave the doctoring to me. Or, or Jesus, come on now, you leave the parenting to me. 
Jesus, I know you have a lot of th- things to say about salvation and spirit stuff, but, but leave my office to me. You deal with your realm and I'll handle mine. But here's the truth. Every realm is Jesus' realm. He has more authority and control over your world than you could ever hope to have. Simon rightly calls him master because he truly is the master of all things. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Uh, I've had a lot of jobs in my life. Um, my, my dad came home one day when I was 15 and said, I've got you a job. So that's when I started working. Um, and sometimes I joke that I, I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. But Jesus is the master of all. He has dominion over every part of your life, even the part that you think you know best. And so what is the right response to this master? What's the response of Simon? Simon says, Jesus, we've been, master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. But at your word, I will let down my nets. At your word, Lord, I will do it. Our right response when Jesus comes into our world and tells us what to do is to say, I will do it. Because you said it, Lord, I will obey. As simple as that. Why did Simon obey? Why didn't he just say, come on now, don't teach a fisherman how to catch fish. Don't teach a granny how to suck eggs. I don't even know what sucking eggs is, but that's the phrase. Simon obeyed because he was beginning to believe. You see this? He was beginning to receive the word of Jesus as a way. And to realize that Jesus is the word of God. You see, discipleship begins by hearing the word of Jesus and responding to it. Let me say that again. Discipleship begins by hearing the word of Jesus and responding to it. We need to hear the word of God and receive it as the word of God. Actively listening, not just sitting there, let it passively wash over you but pursuing it, saying, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? And then in your own time, in your own life, pursuing the word of God, reading the Bible for yourself or with other people, saying, God, speak to me. This is your word. Paul says it to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. He says, "Um, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, But as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you. The word of God at work in you. And as disciples of Jesus, we need to receive God's word. And when we do, it begins to work in us. Peter had received the word of God, even though he wasn't fully there in his faith. He had this weak kind of baby embryo faith. But it was enough to recognize the authority of Jesus and it's God's word and he allowed it to work in his life. We need to receive God's word and allow it to do God's work in our lives. Discipleship begins by hearing God's word and responding rightly to it. And we're usually okay with hearing God's word, aren't we? Um, But it's the responding to it, it's the hard bit, isn't it? You know, when you're in school and the teacher asks you to, you know, looking for somebody to come up to the board and do the example on the board and everyone's like shrinking in the chair, please not me, please not me, please not me. Or you're like looking at something or I'm really, you know, working hard. Don't pick me, don't pick me. It's like that. We do that when Jesus calls us, don't we? We shrink. We don't want to obey. But we need to respond to Jesus' word with obedience. And, and, and look what obeys. It's incredible. It obeys. He is overwhelmed by the power of God. 
When Simon obeys, he is overwhelmed by the power of God. When he does what Jesus says, they catch so many fish that it starts to break the nets. He asks to call the other guys, James and John, get your boat out here quick. I'm, I'm sinking here. The weight of Jesus' miraculous catch of fish nearly sunk two boats. In response, and I, do you know what's interesting? And there's so many sermons we could preach on this. Simon's been toiling in his own strength all night and caught nothing. And then when Jesus comes along, nearly sinks two boats. <laughs> I love that. And here's the point. When we obey Jesus, we give him his part in our lives. When we obey Jesus, we give him a platform to display his part in our lives. This is a key part of being a disciple. Allowing Jesus, through obedience, to display his power. Simply obeying what he says so that when he works powerfully in our lives, he's the one that gets the glory. And sometimes that's a miraculous thing that happens to us. And sometimes that's through the obedience of other saints. And sometimes those are the same thing. The key thing is, our obedience to his word leads his power being displayed and him being glorified. When me and Haley were exploring uh, what going into full-time kind of ministry would look like, we had pretty much set on the fact that we would be moving to Madagascar. We were also, we were so sure, we were like, this would be amazing, and you know, uh, we kind of fancied that, like, yeah, we're going to live in a sweet island, and it'll be amazing, and wildlife, and all that kind of stuff. Maybe we had bad motives, I'm not sure. But we had no money or no provision. Like, we were asking God, are you going to provide for us? We want to do this thing. We want to explore it. Not a penny. Not one penny. Stop the stay in Belfast. And uh, I spoke to, to Lucas, who, who was the, the founding pastor of Village. And, he, and, and I said, Lucas, I, I think God wants us to stay in Belfast and, and, and plant a church with Village. And as soon as that sentence had fell out of my mouth, he said, I've just had a conversation with someone who's going to give Village a part-time salary for a church planting resident. Just like that obedience and God's power so he gets the glory when we obey Jesus we give him a platform to work powerfully in our lives for his glory and so what we need to challenge ourselves with is are, are, are we receiving God's word allowing it to work in our hearts so that the power of Jesus is displayed secondly Jesus calls us to be obedient but he also calls us to be humble look at look at verse Verses 6 to 8 again. I'll just read these for us. And When they had done this, when they had let down their nets, they included a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. If something like this happened to us, how do we respond? Well, it would be within five seconds of being on Instagram, 100%, you know, like anything, you know, incredible happens in the world, like it's on social media. Uh, last week, I was, Storm Eunice, I was glued to like big jet TV for like an hour watching these planes land at Heathrow. And fishermen are cocky too, right? Fishermen, the first thing a fisherman does after they catch a fish is take a picture of it. Uh, there are dozens and dozens of channels and pages uh, dedicated to anglers with posing with pictures of fish they've caught so that suckers like me can spend ages looking at them. When you get a big catch, you want to boast about it. Or in my case, if you get any catch, you want to boast about it. But Simon doesn't boast. Another response we might expect from Simon is to try and sign Jesus up. 
I mean, Simon Peter was a businessman. He was in business with James and John. And so you would think that when Jesus comes along and gives him this miraculous catch, Simon might have said, Jesus, this is amazing. We got a sweet opportunity here. Um, we can make a lot of money. Let me, let me have my solicitors drop the contracts and then, you know, hey, we're on a really good thing. But he doesn't do that. Or at the very least, he would have said, thank you. It's like, this is incredible. I mean, this is the biggest catch I've ever had. Uh, this is a massive payday for me. Thank you so much. Hey, let me, let, me, let me cook you some fish to say thank you or something. Or let me take you for a drink or something like that. Surely he would have went to Jesus and said, thank you. But he does none of those things. And his response is as powerful as it is surprising. He falls down in front of Jesus at his knees and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. In response to Jesus' power being displayed, Simon responds with complete humility. There are two things, I think, going on in Simon Peter here. In response to the, the, the power of God displayed in this man, Jesus, Simon both recognizes and the Savior. He recognizes his own sinfulness and he recognizes the Savior. He realizes Jesus is awesome and I am not. Simon, in this moment, gains an awareness of the glory of Jesus. Jesus has met him in his realm, in his area of expertise, and mightily displayed his power. Simon Peter here has to do Jesus. In creation, God gives Adam a task. He is to have dominion over the created world. We see this uh, in, in Genesis 1.28. The very first thing that, that, that Adam is to have dominion over is the fish of the sea. Look it up, Genesis 1.28. Dominion over the fish of the sea, first thing. And here is Jesus, the second Adam, doing what Adam could not, displaying total dominion over the fish of the sea. And when Simon experiences this glory of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus, the power of Jesus, he becomes aware that here is somebody different. Here is somebody that's, that, that is completely holy. Here is goodness. Here is power like nothing else in the world. And his only response is to fall down before him. Before he called him master, now he calls him Lord. You see how that's different? This reminds me of the response that John has in Revelation chapter 1 when he sees the resurrected Jesus in all his, his power and all his glory. John says, I fell at his feet as though dead. Simon is in total awe of Jesus. This is the right response before a holy God. This is what humility before God looks like. I have nothing. We see this in, in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah has his vision of holy God in the temple. The, the, the cherubim and seraphim flying around singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what does Isaiah say? He says, woe is me. I am a man on clean lips. Confess his sin. Jesus calls us to this kind of humility. And if discipleship begins by receiving God's word and responding to it, discipleship continues by being in awe of Jesus. The path of discipleship is fueled by being in total awe of Jesus. How are we going to tell other people about him if he doesn't mean that much? We happily tell people about the things that are amazing to us, don't we? Uh, me and Haley over half term got a few days away uh, for a wee trip and I couldn't wait to tell people about it. The sweet meal we had and the experiences. 
We love to tell people about the things that we're in awe of. Discipleship is fueled by being in awe of Jesus. And I don't mind, I don't mind saying them, although I might get a bit emotional, but this week we had a wee review of John's eldership. Um, uh, this is something we do from time to time as elders. Uh, you, you know, it's good to, re- to review how we're doing in that. And one thing that we all kept saying about John is that he is someone who leads and teaches and lives his life out of his love for Jesus. If you spend time with this man, listening to him, or just watching how he goes about life, you can tell that he is in awe of Jesus. That's a good elder. That's a good disciple. This is what we're called to. This is Simon Peter here. He is in awe of Jesus. And not only is he in awe of Jesus, but when he's faced with the glory and holiness of God, he recognizes and confesses his own sinfulness. Now, notice all of this. say, ah, oh, Jesus, I'm not a very good fisherman. He doesn't say, I need to go away and rethink things. He just simply confesses that he is sinful. He doesn't even say that there's sinful bits to his life. He doesn't say, confess... Lord, I've lied to my wife, or I've been looking lustfully at other women, or I've been uh, coveting James's new fishing boat, or any of those things. He just falls down and says, I am a sinful man. I am a sinful person. And it's striking, I think, that there's nothing else about sin in this entire passage, but yet, when faced with who Jesus is, Simon realizes that he is a sinner. And I want to revise what I said a second ago. Discipleship is fueled by awe of Jesus and confession. The two go hand in hand. Confession of sin is the only right response when we're faced with the Holy God. What else can we say? When you come face to face with, with the holiness of God, you can't say, well, I mean, I'm not too bad. That's just not going to happen. Jesus, I am sinful. You are holy. Jesus, you are awesome. Discipleship is fueled by awe of Jesus and confession of our sin. And you know what? The bigger Jesus becomes to us, the more we will realize our sinfulness. The more we grow in maturity, the more we will realize we need to repent and confess. Actually, it's not like we become more mature and we have to confess less. That's actually not what happens. It's the opposite. The more we mature in the faith and get to know Jesus, the more we realize we have to confess. If you ask me to show you a mature disciple, I'll show you somebody who is in awe of Jesus and aware of their own sinfulness. Mature disciples are confessing disciples. And we need to see Jesus the way Simon Peter sees Jesus here. And listen, I'm aware of the time, but maybe you're not a Christian Maybe you have trust in Jesus. The truth is that, that all of us are singleness, and one day all of us will see the power and holiness of Jesus. All of us, every single person who's ever lived is going to realize they're sinful and realize that Jesus is Lord. And the invitation is to recognize him this way right now and rightly respond by, by confessing your sinfulness. All of us have sinned and, and, and fall short of God's holiness. And the way to become his disciple is by recognizing that, confessing, I am sinful, O Lord. I am sinful, and you are not. Jesus calls us to be obedient. He calls us to be humble. And the third thing in this calling is that Jesus calls us to leave everything. Listen to verses 9 to 11 again. For he, 
Simon, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that had been taken, that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, we have to see here that as soon as Simon sinfulness and recognizes Jesus as Lord, Jesus gives him a job to do. This, is, this new faith that Simon receives is the start of a new life, and it comes with a new purpose. Jesus says, listen, Peter, don't be afraid. Get up on your feet and get to work. You have been catching fish all these years, but from now on, you're going to be catching people. Sometimes the technical detail of the Bible just astounds me and blows me away. And, and this is one of those places. The, the word here for catching people is not the same word that Luke uses for catching fish. There are two different words in the original language. And the word for catching people means to capture alive. And I love this. Because what happens when you catch fish? They die. But from, Peter will be not taking something from life to death, but bringing people from death to life. You see how amazing that is? Jesus gives Simon this new purpose. And as soon as he trusts in Jesus, he has a new purpose in life. You see, the point here is that there's no such thing as a passive disciple. Anyone who follows Jesus is on mission to make more disciples. We can't separate these things out. It's not like you, you, you can be a follower of Jesus and not be a disciple maker. Being a disciple maker is part of being a disciple. To be a disciple is to be a disciple maker. The beginning of discipleship is receiving and responding to God. Discipleship is being Jesus and confessing our sins. But the fruit of discipleship is making disciples. If you are a Christian, you're on mission. If you're following Jesus, then you are now a catcher of people. And this miraculous catch of fish that, 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 that Simon, Peter, and James, and John, and the guys experience, this is a, a foreshadowing of the miraculous that will be part of Simon's life as a disciple of Jesus. A few years on from this day, on the day of Pentecost, we see Jesus, or we see Simon then called Peter, preaching the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead. He says, you guys crucified Jesus. Well, now he's alive. And you know what happened when he preached that? 3,000 people were caught into his net. 3,000 people were raised from death to life that day. Jesus' word and Jesus' power continues to bring miraculous catches. Just last week, uh, we heard of, uh, we heard of a, a man in Village East who's been coming along for months, if not years, Friday night, like, gave his life to Jesus because he's been sitting under the word of God and, and, and hearing this good news for him and he's come from death to life and we should celebrate that and praise God for that. Jesus is still mighty to save. And don't we want to be part of that? Don't we want to catch people? Don't we want to see people brought from death to life in the power of Jesus? Don't we want to see people share in the grace that we've received, the power and glory and goodness of Jesus? I want that. This is what we get to do now. Jesus brings us from death to life and gives us this new calling. 
And the right response to this calling is to respond the way that Simon and James and John do. They left everything and followed him. It's an incredible response. They left And yet it's the right response, isn't it? When Simon recognized Jesus as Lord, there was only one thing he could do. And that was follow him at all costs. And so he leaves behind his business. He leaves behind his boats and nets. He leaves behind the biggest catch he's ever had in his life. For him, catching fish, catching fish was no longer the priority. We're going to commission here an example that we see in Lauren's life. Leaving everything to be catchers of people. Left their home country to come over here. I mean, who chooses to live in Belfast? Like, come on. I love Belfast. I'm only joking. But to move from Florida, I mean, come on. <laughs> and sometimes we do think, we think that this is just something that's for a chosen few, like the special Christians, maybe, the evangelists and the missionaries. But this calling to leave everything and follow Jesus and be catchers of people is for every Christian. Tim Keller has this amazing kind of analogy. He says that the church is often like a football stadium where there's 22 people who need a rest and 50,000 people who need some exercise. <laughs> this is our call to get some exercise. You know, uh, for Simon and the other guys to walk in this call, and they had to leave everything. Now, I want to be clear that that doesn't mean that all of us will literally leave our homes and move across the world and become missionaries, but still the calling is there to leave everything and follow Jesus. There, 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 I mean, we all, in the modern world, we all have our connections to Ukraine right now. And, uh, but I, I've been getting some small updates from some Acts 29 churches. And um, for some of our brothers and sisters, who are our brothers and sisters, our family, to give up everything and follow Jesus means to stay. To not flee the war that's coming, to not flee the invasion, but to stay so they can serve people. This is the same calling that we have, the calling to take, take on a new priority in life. So when you go to your work, you're not there to be an employee for your boss. You're there to catch people. I have a friend who, who used to play rugby for Ulster, and I used to tell him, uh, well, we used to talk about it, he wasn't at that club to play rugby. He was there to be on mission for Jesus. And whatever situation you find yourself in, you're called to leave every catch people. So when you go to work, you're not there to be a school teacher, you're there to catch people. You're not there to be a graphic designer, you're there to catch people. You're not there to be a doctor or an office worker or a barista or a stay-at-home parent. You're there to catch people. And Jesus used all those other things to put you there to catch the people who are there. And the point we need to learn from Simon, James, and John is you won't be an effective catcher of people if you, your heart, you haven't left everything to follow Jesus. We can say that we're following him, but what really is it costing us to follow Jesus? So let me challenge us all this morning. What is Jesus asking you to leave behind in order to follow him. Maybe you are being called to leave your home and friends and family and move across the world. Maybe God is calling you to move to West Belfast and be part of a church plant there. Or maybe God is nudging you this morning to, and making you feel uncomfortable to, to reprioritize your life. To give him first position. To, to make your first job catching people in, in whatever situation you find yourself in. With your colleagues, and your friendship group. In your family. We are called to be on mission. 
it's time to get some exercise. Just one final thought before we come to the Lord's table. Simon says to Jesus when he realizes his own sinfulness, he says, apart from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'll leave. You're not worthy to be in my presence. And, and you know what? That Jesus would completely justify to say, you're right, Simon. You're not worthy of me. I'm going to leave. None of us are worthy to be in the presence of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, don't be afraid. Peter says, depart from me. And Jesus says, come to me. This is the amazing grace. Jesus doesn't crush Simon with the weight of his sin. He doesn't pile on the guilt and the shame and say, you are sinful. Look how unworthy you are compared to me. He, he lifts him up. Do you see how good Jesus is? It's not because of Jesus isn't worthy of the fear, because he is. But, but when we fall at his knees and confess our sinfulness because of his amazing, his amazing grace to us, he leans over and he looks us in the eyes and he takes us by the hand and he lifts us up and he says, don't be afraid. You have no longer any need to be afraid of my holiness. In a couple of years from this point, Jesus would go to the cross and pay the price for Simon's sinfulness. And even as Jesus was going through all that ordeal and the torture, Simon would betray him. But even then, Jesus' grace was enough. Even then, Jesus never said, depart from me, Peter. Listen, Jesus' grace is enough. I want us all to hear that this morning. Jesus' grace is enough. This calling, as, as sober and as serious a thing it is, and we believe to leave after Jesus. I want us to hear this as God's grace to us, as Jesus' amazing grace. If we confess our sinfulness and worship Jesus of Lord, then he will never, ever, ever say to us, depart from me. Isn't Jesus good? So let's respond to Jesus' calling this morning. And just before I pray, let's take a wee second. Maybe for the very first time you need to respond to this calling. Um, Jesus is calling you and he's calling you to receive his word and respond in obedience. He's calling you to humbly confess your sinfulness and recognize him as Lord. Uh, recognize your sinfulness and recognize your savior. And he's calling you to, to leave everything behind and follow him, to reprioritize your life. Because when it comes to it, like, who else are we gonna follow? <laughs> what else we got? I love later on in his life, Peter's actually going to say to Jesus, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus is calling us to be obedient, to be humble, to leave everything for his calling. So let's take a few moments now before we pray. And then James is going to come and we're going to come to the table. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that um, you've spoken to us this morning. Holy Spirit, I just want brothers and sisters in this room that all of us would just hear and respond to your calling right now. Whatever it is you're doing, Lord, in each individual and us collectively as a family, would we respond to it? 
I just pray for any of us in this room who are starting to feel uncomfortable, (laughs) that we would lean into that. That's a good thing. Lord, may each of us respond to your calling with obedience, with humility, and a desire and willingness to leave everything and follow you. Jesus, only you are worthy of such. No other cause, nothing else is worthy of that level of devotion. Only you are, Lord. Help us respond to that today. Help us leave everything to reprioritize our lives. As we come to the table now in a minute, would you, would you Lord, uh, remind us again, show us again, meet with us again. Show us the cost of you making us your disciples. Jesus, Amen. Um, as we respond to this word that we